Your art is not about how many people like your work. Your art is about if your heart likes your work, if your soul likes your work. It's about how honest you are with yourself, and you must never trade honesty for relatability. It was going to be one of those days in seminary. No, one of those weeks in seminary. Even worse, one of those semesters in seminary. I feel like ministers always talk about seminary in that way. Oh, let me tell you what they put us through that time. I tend to assume that we've all had a moment where we've dreaded a workshop, a class, a conference, or some other potential learning experience. So great the dread, we may have made ourselves sick, yelled and screamed, at least in the car, or just whined about it to anyone who would listen, or just ourselves. We'd enter into the experience, cross our arms, and not want anything to do with it, the people, or any potential learning that may happen. There were many moments in seminary when I had those thoughts. There was one class in particular that was required for graduation that I put off, and then I put it off some more, and then I kept putting it off, and I put it off as long as I could until there was one final opportunity to take it, or else I'd need to delay my graduation by a year. I signed up. I loathed paying for it. I only bought a couple of the books, don't tell the professor, and I entered into the classroom with utter dread. The class was simply named Arts and Aesthetics. <laughs> I had no problem with the aesthetics piece of the class. Many of you have noted my own philosophy and practice of aesthetics, and the people in my life that really know me know that I have plenty of opinions and theories about the aesthetics of the world we live in, of art, of architecture, of design, and so on and so forth. Before enrolling in seminary, I audited a handful of urban planning and design courses. While I cannot draw to save my life, I took great joy in urban theory and lengthy discourses on the pressing issues of urban planning, such as sidewalks. Did you know that according to some urban theorists, Sidewalks are the single most important thing that maintains order in a city. That the very act of using a sidewalk fights disorder and preserves civilization. <laughs> Did you know that? Aesthetics is a peculiar thing. I was not dreading a class about church aesthetics, be it musical, liturgical, the way the chairs are lined up, and so on and so forth. It was the art part that I feared. And the professor that taught the class, a former actor and dancer, was all about the art. I loathed participating in art before and during seminary. And in a Unitarian Universalist seminary, when you take an art class, get ready for the glitter. <laughs> get ready for the feathers, the clay, the fabrics. The avant-garde meets the cubism and surrealism all at once. And that is exactly what it was. 
We had to watch dance videos of Alvin Alley, the famous choreographer and modern dancer. We had to collaborate on amateur group paintings and add texture to our emotions. We had to create an experiential art experience for the whole class. And on top of it all, we had to submit another art experience and be judged accordingly by the professor. For some of you, this sounds thrilling. To me, it sounded horrendous. It sounded absolute worst. Give me the urban theory and essays on sidewalks any day over what this class was. To top it all off, we had to go to this large art store in Chicago and stock up on supplies. And if you've ever watched the show Project Runway, when they go to buy fabrics, you know exactly how I was feeling then. I never felt more out of place. I do not hate art, but I did live a good portion of my life convinced I had no place in it. And I give credit to seminary for breaking me out of that faulty assumption. One of the little projects we had to do in that class and share with everyone and talk about meaningfully in some way was to create a piece that talked about who we were as artists. What a silly question, I thought. I'm not an artist. I'm going to be a minister. I should have simply trusted the professor. He knew what he was doing. But after my protests, I created a simple piece with careful lines, blues and blacks and earth tones, not much texture at all. And as I drew and painted that piece, I thought about several things. First, did I really go to graduate school for this? <laughs> to color? And second, why on earth was I so unsettled by the notion that as a minister, is, a minister is in many ways an artist? I thought about my own relationship with art and how it has been disrupted throughout my life. I thought immediately about the music teacher in grade school that told me I didn't have a musical bone in my body and that I should just mouth the words during choir. I didn't play the violin long after that experience, and I didn't sing a single note of music until seminary over 20 years later. I also think of the other teacher, a high school English teacher. Upon having a poem published in the school literary magazine, I noticed she changed several of the words. Upon asking her why, she replied, matter-of-factly, I was trying to make you look good. <laughs> These two experiences and several others contributed to a stifling of my own creativity and cultivated a shame in creating anything. Now, there were good teachers, good mentors, that kept me writing, though I never once tried to publish anything again, even with urging. But I wonder... I wonder if those experiences, had it happened, would I have kept at it? Would I have stayed in the choir and honed my skills? Would I have kept up with the violin? Would I have submitted those poems to a real poetry magazine? Would I have kept up the drawing and designing? These experiences are not the only things to account for, but they did make an impact. And there I was in seminary forced to draw my emotions about being an artist. Now, I'll skip to the end of that class. I passed. I did fine. I cracked open the shell and crawled out. I still don't like glitter, but I see art in every corner of church life. I don't go out of my way to draw my emotions, 
but I see this work and this life, this communal experience with all of you as a way to give voice to our innermost selves. I still haven't picked up the violin again, but I see this experience called church hitting new notes of both dissonance and harmony week after week. The dissonance can be artful and beautiful too. But I'm still left wondering about all the instances in each of our lives that dissuade us from our creative selves and tell us that we are not good enough or it's a waste of time. Either message we hear is a shame, because if there's anything that can give us hope, it is the creative, the life-giving, and the artful. When are you your most creative self? Do you even consider yourself creative? I know many people don't. What has your experience of art been in your own life? I think those questions are worth reflecting on. We need not create paintings, though many of us do. We need not design graphically, architecturally, spatially, what have you, though many of us do. We need not break out the glitter, but we should have an understanding of what art means to us, what shapes it takes, what forms are most beautiful, and how we engage it, even if just a few minutes in our mind. The word itself is worth exploring. Now, I have promised you many times to never wax poetic and endlessly about the etymologies of words. But the word art is interesting. It comes to us from the Latin word meaning to reduce, to curtail, to press together, to contract, tighten, conclude, to finish, to narrow, to limit. Isn't that fascinating? A word we often hear used to give a sense of expansiveness means to reduce, to limit. It certainly gets one thinking. And I should add that there is also one more meaning from the Latin. It means severe. Severe limits. Severe reduction. To engage in art is to focus. It is to focus on something so severely that unbound creativity springs forth. This immediately calls to mind the word craft. Not craft in the sense of going to Michael's and buying glitter. You see, I have a thing against glitter. It's constantly coming up. But the act of crafting. The archaeologist Alexander Langlands, in his book titled Craft, examines what he calls traditional crafts. The skills and art forms passed down through the ages of wisdom and knowledge, such as beekeeping, fence-making, arrow-making, hedge-growing, thatching roofs, tilling the earth, sheep-farming, pottery-making, tanning leather, boat-making, basket-weaving, the list goes on and on. And he does so in excruciating detail. Six pages of detail describing how tree branch branches are bound together with rods to make lattice for a fence. If that excites you, this book is for you. <laughs> but the whole point of this book, though, and of any assessment of craft, which is a synonym for art, is to examine how labor, how work, can be transformed into the artful. And Langlands explores this through lifting up what he calls the repetitious works of art. This bat house we got is not going to win any art awards anytime soon. But embedded within it is a deep wisdom and skill 
and the essence of crafting something out of raw material, of giving shape and function and voice to cedar planks. Langlands also reminds us that the word craft from the Old English has no possible translation, that the closest we can get is defining it as a form of knowledge, craft, and not just a knowledge of making, but a knowledge of being, a knowledge of being. For me, this is where we start to look at our own relationship with art differently. It is more than an uncomfortable seminarian painting his emotions in class. It is more than thinking every poem we write is brilliant or terrible or somewhere in between. It is more than what too many people in our culture view as a waste of time and resources. What art and the craft of it is all about is mastery not in the sense of perfection or domination that we often assume in Western culture, but mastery as in knowledge, wisdom of ourselves, our communities, our needs, our aspirations, of our being and our existence, of awareness and intent and beauty. I'm sure we've all heard about the proverbial college student that majors in underwater basket weaving. It's a derisive story we often hear told to people to illustrate how something is a waste of time and of no benefit to society. The joke is on those people that use that story, though. What is often not told in that example of underwater basket weaving is how the Aleutian, Inuit, Coastal Salish, Blackfoot, and other coastal and inland indigenous tribes of the Northwest soak the willow rods underwater until they are pliable, sometimes taking weeks that this is a practice their mothers taught them, who learned from their mothers, who learned from their mothers and their mothers and their mothers and their mothers, all the way back through history and to the beginning of their people. That in each weave of the willow rods, each pattern, each design, and each bead added, there was a story of wisdom and of knowledge and of history. This is also true with what Alexander Langlands explores. The act of thatching a roof is surely practical. But within that craft and that art, there is the wisdom of the ages and the stories of generations that have passed it on. Which brings us to church and the craft, the art of building community, of being in community, of passing down the knowledge of how we come together each week. That is our severe focus when we enter into this place, to join in community. But within that focus, there should be the possibility of creativity. And I would add, within that creativity, we find the necessary as well. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that, whatever is beautiful rests on the foundation of the necessary. Thatching a roof, building a beehive, forming a sculpture, taking a photograph, weaving a basket, writing prose or poetry. What is necessary about those things? And what about joining in community? Can that be beautiful, and does that rest on the foundation of the necessary as well? Obviously, my answer is yes, but I'm the minister. Of course I'm going to say yes. But I wonder about all of you. What inspiration are you finding here? And what have you been inspired to do? And I'm not talking about joining a committee, though if you've been inspired to do that, that's great. But what I mean is, especially in a religion such as Unitarian Universalism, 
What have you been moved to do differently in your life, your family's life, or the life of your community? What has honed your awareness and your intent? What is your craft, your art? Is it entirely your own or is it something shared? And what stories are woven into every piece of it? We've begun weaving some stories of our own here at UUCL. We aren't passing down generations of hand-woven beaded baskets that tell creation stories or entire histories of people, but we are giving shape and color and awareness to our craft, the building of community. You may have noticed that there is a great deal of art around here these days. And if you haven't, your homework is to take notice. And noticing is a great first step. But have you stopped to look? There's a clue. <laughs> have you stopped to look? Have you stopped to wonder about why a community would create such a thing in the first place? Have you wondered what stories of the individuals are in that art? And not just the pieces of art, but even this building as well, these grounds, the trees, the plants, everything. Do those stories matter to the particular piece or object? And have you looked at something and gone, aha, I can see where I made my contribution, where I helped something entirely new come into existence? What was it? Was it the mosaic above us as you leave the sanctuary? Which colorful piece did you add to the mosaic? Was it happenstance? Was it your favorite color? Were you dreading any art project but felt you had to do it anyway before you left church? And what about behind me, the starry night? Can you spot the part of the night sky that was entirely yours? Or maybe the banners in our parking lot or around our grounds. Did you give shape and form to the images, the hand-sewn flowers on the banner outside? Have you sat in our conversation circle with these warming days near the Allen House? Did you know we had a conversation circle near the Allen House? And have you wondered who crafted that practical and simple seating arrangement? Something so simple it gives a meaning, a means to enjoy community. <coughs> the outdoor world around us. Taking notice is a great first step of all the beauty and all the art and craft that is around us. But may we also notice how we are contributing to the craft of this community. Henry David Thoreau once remarked that the world is but a canvas to our imagination. What will we put on the canvas before us? What will reconnect us with our artistic and creative selves. What will be our art and our craft? May we reflect on these questions today and in all days. Blessed be. Amen.